0: In this episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast, we're going to talk about where to level up your songwriting. So we're going to target specifically three areas that I think are important things to look at when we say to ourselves, "Okay, I feel like my songs have sort of plateaued a little bit. I don't feel like I've been getting demonstrably better or, you know, I just want to level up my songs. I've been a beginner for a bit here. But now I want to kind of get past that beginner stage and I want to have that new best song. So we're going to look at three different specific ways I think we can all look at our music to specifically and precisely level up our songwriting. Let's talk about it. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Joseph Badala. I am pleased to get the opportunity to talk with you today. It is a great honor that you would take some time out of your day, out of your week to listen to this podcast. I'm glad that you are that interested in learning songwriting and getting better at songwriting. That warms my heart. So, thank you for allowing me to be a part of your week and allowing songwriting to be a part of your week as. Well, we're talking about how to level up your songwriting, partially because last week was very much for beginners, to the point that I gave a caveat of, hey, if you're not a beginner, probably don't waste your time on this episode, so I figured this week it would be good to do something that is very much tailored towards those who have maybe written a few songs. Now, unlike last week, I do feel like even if you're new to songwriting, this can be helpful to you, but this is specifically targeted for those who have some songs under their belt that are maybe a little bit more in the middle as far as experience or at least have you know maybe an EP's worth of songs but we're going to talk about three different ways to level up your songwriting first way i think is to use your main instrument as your first opportunity to write a memorable part rather than something just to write a chord Progression, so I think this is super common with all songwriters, but specifically, I think this is a tendency with guitarists, especially, and for good reason. I think because for guitar, right, we that that is sort of what we do most of the time. Unless you are a legitimate bona fide lead guitarist, right, then probably your nature when you're writing songs and the main thing that you would do while playing songs tends to be straight up a chord progression. It's very common, but I think a great way to get your songs to a next level is to go beyond just strummed chords. If you're a guitarist or beyond just plain played chords, say block chords for piano. Now, I feel like I give this caveat every time, but you may be new here, so I want to make sure that we're clear on this. This is not to say that we should completely abandon strummed guitar parts or that block piano chords are bad. Uh, I, I remember somebody in high school making fun of block piano chords as if they were fundamentally bad, forgetting that that, like everything else, can be an artistic choice because it fits the song Right? I, I love writing piano riffs, but sometimes what I'm writing just needs to be block chords. That's just the feel it has. And if I try to make it some more complicated, more intricate riff, it just wouldn't fit the song. So So just as a clear caveat, I'm not saying those, these things are bad, right? But at some point, if you have, say, five, 10 songs, and all of them start with a strummed guitar in a fairly basic pattern, This is a place to target to level it up a little bit. Because sure, we can just have plain piano or guitar chords doing a 1, 5, 6, 4 chord progression. But it's generally better to write a piano part or a guitar part that operates as more of a memorable part in and of itself. Now, this can still be using chords, but it's usually not going to be just with plain triads. So on a guitar, what this can look like is doing some sort of picking pattern. Now, whether that's finger picking or with your pick, or if it is simply just doing something like adding some hammer-ons and some slightly different, you know, slides maybe into your otherwise basic chord progression. Or maybe it's not a basic chord progression. It can even look like really trying to dive into chords that aren't so common. Even if it's just doing something small, like having one of your chords be be a sus chord, be a suspended chord, or having one of them have an added note, or one of them just have a different note in the bass. There's a song I was playing the other week that uh, basically everything about it was fairly plain, nothing to write home about, except it had a D major chord with a G in the bass. And... A G is not in a D major chord because D major chord is D, F sharp, and A. And yet, the bass note that went with it was a G. And super simple, right? And yet, it added really a lot of interest to the, the harmony of it. And it just sounded a little different and pretty cool. And there's again, there's nothing remarkable about that, right? It's literally a plain... G major chord, just or sorry, a D major chord, and then just has a G in the bass. So just going one level further can go a long way. Now, I'm specifically encouraging you to go maybe several farther, right? Because with a picking pattern, for instance, at that point, you are essentially doing what we would call arpeggiated chords. Because arpeggiated chords, all arpeggiated means, or arpeggios, is just broken apart, right? So that is a plain chord. Or when I say block chords, that's kind of what it is. Is, right, it's just block chords. Whereas when I say arpeggiated, that's just, like literally that's arpeggiated -er. Right, so it's it's nothing complex. It's the same notes as the block chord. It's just broken up. So, That's effectively what you're doing when you just have a finger picking or a pick picking pattern often in a guitar song. Now you can go next level and do some real James Taylor type guitar parts where they get more and more refined and intricate. But I don't think you need to go that far yet. right? We're just trying to go to the next level. And that, like everything else, right, there's a time and place for that. I don't think every song needs that. I don't even think every song would benefit from that. And for pianists, the same thing goes as well. You know, you can do a lot with simply arpeggios. I mentioned this before offhand, but some of my favorite starting places for coming up with a piano riff or a piano hook is usually my right hand is doing some form of arpeggiated part. And... And it's almost never a basic triad. It always has something a little different, a little spicy about it, right? It might be an add chord. Uh, like like one song uh, was a, a D major chord, uh, actually with an added G. Um, so in that case, it would be a D major add four. And that's really all it was in the right hand, just arpeggiated in a certain pattern. And then I basically have a, a bass line in the left hand. And... As far as a piano riff, you can write a killer piano riff, literally just with a basic arpeggiation in your right hand, something arpeggiated, and then in your left hand having what is basically a piano bass line can go a hugely long way. Even if you just do one of those things, it will go a long way. And and also with piano specifically, I'll just give a little bonus here because I, I I am a huge fan of, of piano riffs and piano hooks. It's one of my favorite things to write, uh, especially musically. And especially when you can get it to be sort of a hybrid of it's sort of an arpeggiated part in your right hand, but it also has some element of melody as well. That can be really, really great. And that's kind of a nuanced thing. Um, But the, the idea is that because arpeggiated is a very rhythmic pattern type thing that happens over and over again where melody sort of has, well, we all know what a melody is, right? So it, it blending those two can be a nice little bonus. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about here. So the first way to level up your songwriting is simply to level up this main part that you write. Now, again, in case you haven't been a listener for a while, let's do a quick little quick talk about what I mean when I say main instrument. So how I define a main instrument is this is the instrument that you're sitting at usually when you are writing your song, because usually this ends up being the most foundational instrument to your song, to the point that when you listen to artists very often, you can tell by the recording of their song what their instrument is. If you listen to clocks by Coldplay, you can tell the lead singer and songwriter is a pianist. If you listen to How to Save a Life by The Fray, you can tell the lead singer and songwriter is a pianist. It's very piano-driven. You can tell that that song was written with Slade, I think his name is. I want to say his name is Slade or something like that. That, that. Isaac Slade? Is that his name? Anyway, you can tell that he sat at a piano and wrote that or 100 Years by Five for Fighting. You can tell. Or Goo Goo Doll's song, if you listen to that, you can tell that Johnny Resnick sat there with his acoustic guitar, tuned it to whatever tuning he decided to do for that song, inevitably an open tuning, and then wrote the song. You can tell by the recording. That's what we're talking about when we say the main instrument. It's usually the instrument that starts at the very beginning of the song and goes all the way through the song. It's a song that you would play if you were on stage solo or probably if you were on stage in a band. That's the main instrument. So a lot of times, I think the tendency is we just do something super basic with that because we're trying to write the song and we're not yet thinking of the arrangement of the song. And there's an interesting thin line between those two. I personally think that in today's day and age, the line between arranging and writing a song should be more and more blurred. I think if there's one thing that we as perhaps more conventional songwriters can learn from the EDM Electronic music, you know, producers is that that blend, right? Because we call them producers, but really they're kind of songwriters, they're kind of producers, they're kind of arrangers. They kind of do all those things. And in today's day and age, we can do the same thing. But anyway, moral of the story is one one of the easy ways to level it up is instead of sitting with, say, your guitar and coming up with a chord progression first, and then saying to yourself, oh, maybe later I'll do a pick-picking pa- pick pattern or something like that. Uh, probably you won't. Uh, may- maybe you do often. Um, sometimes it's easy to fall in love with what you originally write with an instrument. Uh, so I highly recommend at least giving a shot writing from the beginning with a, a, a just a bit more of an intricate part than, say, just plain... Course. Second way to level up our songwriting is to move past simply improvising melody. So improvising melody is a great start. In fact, in in my opinion, the vast majority of melodies should be improvised to start. And depending on your experience with songwriting and composing and all that you might say well yeah (laughs) how else would you write a melody and you know you you can write a melody literally by like writing it in music notation right with treble clef and bass clef that type of thing right you can literally write it that way and at least for me personally whenever i was in music composition classes and stuff like that that was often the way that we would do things, right? You're you're in Finale, which is a, a composing software, basically. And, you know, you place a note. And then you're like, oh, you know, uh, how about we go up a third? And then you try that. And then you're like, eh, I don't really like going up a third. Maybe I'll go up a perfect fourth. And you're like, ooh, I like that interval. And then you try to hear, like, oh, where do I think the melody is going to go? So, so you're almost truly writing the melody or... You know, sort of doing it note by note. Whereas the nature of improvisation is sort of feeling it. Right? And especially for songwriting, I I think that's a better start. I think it's a great place to start. But I think it can be helpful when instead of just saying, Ooh, I improvised a melody. That sounded good. That sounded fine. That's my melody. Instead we can really level up our songs by taking that as the, okay, so I have a starting place. Because especially when you get better and better with improvisation, whether this is improvising with your voice or with an instrument that you're writing the melody for or with, I should say, because I've said this before, my favorite thing to use for writing melody is actually the piano. At this point, I almost exclusively write melodies at the piano because I think I just come up with more interesting melodies when I'm playing it on the piano. I can visualize it in a way I can't when I'm singing. Um, You know, because I can visualize, like, oh, I haven't gone more than a third in, like, two bars, right? So then I'm like, go up a fifth and stuff that tends to add a little more excitement to music. You can't visualize that, though, with your voice. Also, uh, I just find it easier to improvise melody with a piano than I do with my voice, just straight up. So regardless what instrument you're using to improvise melody, which I highly suggest whatever instrument you're most competent with, by the way. So if you are, I alluded to you know, a lead level guitarist. And if you're confused by what I mean by that, If you think of a a band, especially a rock band, right, there's usually a rhythm guitarist and a lead guitarist. The rhythm guitarist tends to be the weaker of the two and the one that's going to just be doing rhythm parts because rhythm parts on guitar is the easier part to play. And then a lead guitarist is the person who can, you know, shred some sweet solos. Not necessarily shredding, but you know what I mean. That's what a lead guitarist is. I would compare it, if you're a football person, I feel like I haven't said a football analogy in a bit, and you're probably like, what are you talking about? You did just last week or two weeks ago, Joseph. But hey, here it is. Um, I'm just excited there's not a team I hate in the Super Bowl this year. So (laughs) anyway, um, it's kind of like how people will say things like, you know, they're a great number two wide receiver, but they're not a very good one, number one wide receiver. And really what they're saying, right, is, you know, if you're the best receiver on the team, then you're not really good enough to be the best receiver on the team if you want to have good wide receivers. But you're a really, really good wide receiver if you're only expected to be the second best wide receiver on the team, right? If there's somebody even better than you on the team. So, I kind of compare rhythm guitar versus lead guitar to that. But anyway, moral story, if you're a really good guitarist and to you doing solos is nothing and you can just noodle all day, as some people say, maybe use that to write your melodies. Now, they need to be singable and all that, but we'll get there. So, that aside, aside, a lot of times, improvised melodies, especially if we're improvising with our voice, tend to be overly simplistic, and I'll give the caveat again, simplistic is not necessarily bad, right, but we do want our songs to not all be that, like, oh, they always sing within, like, a third in their voice, and they just have three-note melodies, like, we, we want to evolve past that, right, we want to have some leaps, we want to have some some things that that don't just sound inevitable and don't just sound so conversational that the melodies. Not that memorable. There's a time and a place for that. Sometimes if it's done intentionally, like everything else, right? A lot of things done intentionally are great. But if we just kind of accidentally stumble upon doing the same thing over and over again, whether it fits or not, that's often where we get ourselves in trouble. So, spending some time thinking, okay, I think I've noticed that for like two measures, there's very little tension In the melody to the point that it could almost lull you to sleep maybe not that far but you know what i'm saying so how do i up the ante right and you do that by adding bigger leaps is is one of the big ways to do that because usually especially if you are improvising with your voice and maybe if you're an incredible vocalist this will not be true for you right if if you're somebody who your best instrument is your voice for example this this probably isn't true for you but the voice, like I think everything else, everything sort of defaults to comfort, right? In life, even, we have to explicitly put ourselves in situations that make us uncomfortable, right? This is why people stay in jobs that they don't enjoy for too long, right? Because they just got kind of comfortable there. And the reason they're not going to advance is that they just they got comfortable, Right. And and if that's you, hey, go get some interviews. You can go crush it. And the light, the grass can be greener on the other side. But anyway, um, and, and this is just true of everything in life. Right. Even tonight, I didn't start recording this podcast until 11. I wanted to have a productive night of getting some songwriter theory stuff done. And you know what? There just kept being one more interesting YouTube video. And I was tired my my legs especially but my whole body was killing me because my wife and i are doing a pretty intense workout so intense that most of the weeks they have you just do two times a week the main workout and then every other day is like a smaller thing but this was our first week of three of the really big workouts and boy i hurt (laughs) um which i tell you just to say like my default, right, was, was to comfort. You know, it was comfortable laying on my couch with my feet up watching another YouTube video that I didn't need to watch. So in the same way, vocally, we're often going to sort of go to what's comfortable. And what's comfortable is going to have smaller leaps and is going to be conversational sounding, which again, there's nothing wrong with. But we don't want it to always be conversational all the time. Even, I, I usually use James Taylor as my main conversational person to, to bring up, but even he, his melodies aren't just all, you know, s- steps. There are leaps in there. there. There there are parts that go higher. Just because his voice still sounds smooth as butter doesn't mean that, you know, he's not he doesn't incorporate some bigger leaps and some more interesting things into his music. Now, maybe a little less so, but, uh, you know, style comes into this. The fact that the intricate guitar work comes into this, it carries a little bit more of the load. But anyway, another part of this is getting intentional about vocal range and utilizing it. So I believe I had an episode way back in like year one, or maybe it was an old YouTube video, although I don't really have many old YouTube videos. I didn't really start YouTube in earnest, except for like a year ago at time of recording. Um, But I had something where I specifically taught like, okay, how do you figure out your vocal range? And the reason for that is I think a lot of times people take vocal range for granted as if it's not a very like helpful tool, which is crazy to me because if I like if you name any of the vocalists that you would say the world more or less has decided these are some of the greatest vocalists of all time. Like Celine Dion, whether you like her or not. I'm sorry, she's there. Whitney, right? Uh, Mariah Carey, even though she is incredibly unlikable, but <laughs> Mariah Carey, right? Um or, or uh, you know, on the male side on the, and on the, the rock side, maybe have the journey, Steve Perry, right? Or of Queen, of course, Freddie Mercury. What are some of the things all those people I just named have in common? Monster vocal ranges and they use the crap out of them. right? They're elite at using them. They make your mind melt at some of the high notes. And it sounds great and it sounds epic, and you love it, right? Or maybe you don't like any of those artists, and that's okay. I mean, I don't I don't like half of, more or less half of what I just uh, named. But you got to respect the vocal regardless. So get intentional about like, okay, what is my vocal range? Like go to a piano, go to a guitar, try to sing notes, right? Warm up first. Or wait for a day that you're warmed up. Maybe you're in college and you're in a choir or something. You get warmed up, but like go to go to an instrument and literally note by note. Like, can I sing this note? Can I sing this note? Can I sing this song? And and do that, you know, several times because, you know, we don't have the same exact vocal range every day, especially if you have a cold or something. But really get intentional about that and even think about what key should I put this song in to maximize that vocal range. So for example, a lot of times the money note in a song will be either the same note as the key. So for example, if you're in the key of G major, the money note will very often be G, or a lot of times it will end up being another note in that chord, like the third. So a B in that case, or a D, the fifth, often. That's not necessarily the case, but that, that that's the tendency at least. Or at least is a good place to start. So writing a song with that sort of in mind can be helpful. Maybe for you, the highest note you can hit is, you know, uh, a G5. Or G4. Yeah, G5. Tenor high C is C6, right? Whatever. The G below tenor high C if you're a guy. Maybe that's your money note. I only say that because I'm sorry, ladies. I, I I still, like, vocal range for whatever reason... For women, I still don't, like, know. And I think it's because it's never been relevant to me personally, right? Like, I I know guys' vocal ranges because very relevant to me. Um, But anyway, so we'll go with that example. If that's your money note, then, you know, be like, okay, you know what? I'm going to write a song in G major. And I'm gonna make sure to make use of that that note sometimes. Or maybe you feel more comfortable that you could consistently nail an F sharp, but a G starts to be like, ooh, I better be having a good vocal day. Okay, think about making that your money note. And then test out alterations of your melody. This is one of the main things I wanted to hit in this, in this second uh, tip for leveling up your songwriting. And I know it's not really a tip, there's many tips within this, but one of the ways to level up your songwriting Because I've I've said before a quote from my composition teacher, composition like writing, not like music composition, for what it's worth. uh, Gregory Belliveau, his name was, in college. And it's that writing is editing. So simple, but yet it was very profound to me. Hopefully it's profound to you. But the idea is that the end product of your writing right if we say like i want to want to write a great book or i want to write a great song there's this emphasis on writing but really writing is sort of the beginning process it's also a word that means the whole process right but people tend to way overestimate the first draft of anything when really how you get something great tends to be in the long long, long, long process sometimes of editing. Now, I I don't think you need to spend as much time editing melody usually as you do, say, lyrics, but I think sometimes we tend to completely cut out editing of a melody when we shouldn't. Now, what does editing a melody look like? The quick version is, say you have, you know, a three-note melody We'll keep it super simple. That was just G, A, B. You just ask yourself, you know what? Okay, but like, what if instead of going up to B at the end, I go up to C? Okay. Well, may- maybe instead of a three note melody, uh, I, I kind of feel like it should come back down to the B after. Okay. Well, what if I. What if I. Uh, Instead of going down to the B, I went up to the D, actually. No, actually, I like the B better. Okay. What if my first note wasn't that G? What if it was an F instead? Nope, definitely not better. Right, so, very simplistic example, I know. But literally taking one note at a time and saying, well, what if it was a different note? What if we try something different? What what if we try adding a note here? Taking the time to go through that process, you can discover and edit your melody from good into great, or okay into really good, or okay all the way to great. So taking some time to do that can be can be really, really helpful. Use more tension in your melodies. The quick version of this is tension is usually created by notes that are not in the chord. So if I play G major chord and then I play a G on top that just sounds pleasant right why is that well because the note is in the chord what if I play a C on top instead oh there's tension now right you just want it to go down to that B right so That's just a really short example, but tension. Tension tends to come from non-chord tones because tension is created from expectation, more or less. Whenever somebody has an expectation of something to happen or expectation of change, that's sort of what causes tension. There's a little more to it, but that's not the main point of this podcast, and I don't want it to be 500 years long, so we'll leave it at that. For now, uh, as, as always, you know, if you've gotten any of the free guides, You have my email, you can always shoot me an email if there's something I say here that you're like, hey, that was interesting, maybe do a whole episode on that. So, the third tip, I know the second one took a lot, a lot of time, so let's get to the third tip. Give individual words and word precision more attention. Now, if you've been a listener for a while, you might have just laughed to yourself like, haha, Joseph's talking about precision of lyrics again. Yes, yes I am, because... Uh, this is super important and I don't know about you, but I'm a big fan of small changes leading to big differences, right? I'm, I'm a big fan of adding a small amount more of effort. I know that wasn't English, but we'll, we'll let it go. Hopefully, um, um, and not spending that much more time on something necessarily, just doing small things that lead to possibly huge differences and huge benefits. And the reason I talk about word precision is to me this is one of those things. Because so often we come up with a word and we're like, yeah, that's true, that's fine, and then we move on. Instead of asking, okay, that word may be true, that word may be fine, it may be accurate, but is it the best word for what I'm trying to say? Is it the most precise word? And one of the examples I like to use is, say, the word sad. Sad is fine. It's a word, right? We all know what sad means. But honestly, sad is, is, is fairly generic, like what? Do you, what do you mean by sad? If somebody tells me they're sad, I don't. I don't really know that much. But if they tell me they're bitter, or heartbroken, or melancholy, or mournful, or somber, or sorrowful, morose, dejected, depressed, despairing, distressed, right? Distressed, grieved, hurting, pensive, right? All of these are things. For example, I believe you can find literally all of them if you go to thesaurus.com. And search for sad and find the synonyms for sad. So just going with a little bit more effort, specifically using a thesaurus or because we live in the 21st century, uh, especially if you write at a computer. If, if you're somebody, I know some of you are, you know, you can't have a computer for your songwriting because then you'll get distracted with other stuff. So you still write in notebooks pads or whatever then buy yourself a thesaurus i assume at this point they're like 10 bucks on amazon i don't know that i'm just guessing because who on earth buys a thesaurus anymore probably just people like us um and you know other writers that don't want to use a computer for whatever reason so regardless of of how you get there all you need is a thesaurus if you search sadness, you'll get like anguish, sorrow, grief, hopelessness, misery, mourning, which are all more specific, which is what I mean by precise words, right? Pre- precise is narrowing in on an emotion more so, right? It's like a sniper versus, I, I don't know, a shotgun, right? Shotgun, shotgun is kind of like it sprays a little bit. And as long as you're in the general vicinity, you'll probably, you'll probably get whatever you're shooting at. Whereas a sniper, you know, they, they are very specifically pinpointing exactly where to go. I don't know how this turned into a gun analogy. It's probably the first time I've used that, right? But anyway, ho- hopefully that, that gives you an idea of what I'm talking about. And really all this comes from the idea of just test your words, right? I would say go so far as to literally go through pretty much every word you have and just do a quick thesaurus.com search. Just see, maybe most of your words are going to be the best word that you could have for what you're trying to say. But even one or two that you find a more precise word can make a huge difference. Huge difference. Just like sad versus mournful. Right or sadness is kind of boring, right? Versus sorrow or anguish or grief, or mourning. Uh, for example, Breaking, Breaking Benjamin has a song called "Dear Agony." Not a complex title, but man, I love that title. Why? Agony. Agony is a great word. You know what the plain version of that word is? Pain. And you know what, again, pain can work in some instances. In some instances you need to use the word pain because it is the most precise word you can use to address what you're talking about. But I can't even imagine if that song was called Dear Pain. I think I'd hate that song, (laughs) I I don't know. Uh, But Dear Agony, that is a song that I like the sound of, right? Like I, I can say I'm proud to say like, oh, I like that song, Dear Agony. Whereas dear pain sounds um, a little bit lame, maybe. So overall, what are we getting from this? Hopefully what we're getting is overall, we want to give greater attention to detail. All right? So the, our last tip here, give individual words and word precision. We're talking about attention to detail of the word. With our melody editing, and not just improvising melody and calling it a day, again, we are paying extra attention to detail. We're saying, no, I will test that if I have a 10-note melodic phrase, I will take that 10th note and try alterations of it. Because even though I think it sounds good, Perhaps I'm just one change of an interval, one change of a note away from it going from like, oh, yeah, this is pretty good to like, oh, my gosh, how great was that? I love this melody. Small changes can go a long way. And then the same thing can be true with our first tip as well, right? It's attention to detail. Just the little detail of its arpeggiated chords, its finger picking, it adds a hammer on or two. All of those things can make a huge difference in a song, but they're not hard things to do. So I think these are the things that we should do to level up our songwriting. And the last tip on word precision is really just one small part of when I talk about iterative lyric writing or iterative lyric editing what I'm talking about. And if you don't know what those are, that is, I believe, step five of my six-step lyric writing checklist. So go check that out. It's at songwritertheory.com slash lyric checklist. Link will be in the description. But in that guide, I break down the six steps that I go through when writing lyrics, because I think one of the hardest things to do as a songwriter is to write great lyrics. And also, at the same time, if there's something where people's process tends to be the most broken and they tend to set themselves up to fail the most it is in that a lot of times we stare at a blank page and say write lyrics me and that doesn't tend to end well because that is expecting far too much of ourselves so if we break it into smaller baby steps that is what how we can ensure that we have a lyric we can be proud of and passes what i like to call the frame test which is really just the idea, if you print out your lyrics and put it in a frame and put it on a wall, is it something that somebody would read and be like, oh, wow, this is pretty good. Or, you know, hey, this, this poem is pretty good. You know, who wrote this? Because we all know that a lot of songs, especially these days, uh, but really just a lot of songs, period. I don't care if you're talking about the Beatles or, oh, no, oh, no, he blasphemed. Um but, like, seriously, there's plenty of Beatles songs. There's plenty of songs by many artists where if you just took the lyrics and put them on the wall, you'd be like, ooh. Ugh. Right? And then there's WAP, which is just... You don't even need to print them out on the wall to know that they're just embarrassing. They're just embarrassing. There's no other way to put it. But anyway. Uh, unless it was intended as humor. Then I guess still kind of vile but funny. I Maybe. It, it, anyway. Uh, if you're young, don't look it up. So... What does it mean by young? Under 18. Don't look it up. Um, But check out that lyric checklist, songwritertheory.com slash lyric checklist. It will help you to be able to write songs that do pass the frame test. I'm not saying your first song using this, like it, it, it will be the, you'll never write anything better than that and everything will be perfect. No, but it will certainly make a huge, huge difference. I think you will notice it right away for sure. And again, that's just, dives into even more than what that last tip was about getting precise about individual words that's just one part of one of the six steps really and that's that iterative lyric editing step be sure to check that out hopefully this was helpful to you if it was be sure to leave a kind review on apple podcasts i got it guys there's a record i got it i didn't say itunes this time I'm thinking about giving myself a literal pat on the back, but I'll avoid it. Don't want to get a big head. So Apple Podcasts um, and then Spotify also uh, has reviews, I think. Um, Yes, I feel like I've said that for weeks now. They told me. So I guess I know that. Um, And also this is going to be on Amazon, which is apparently new Amazon Podcasts. So maybe you're a person – that before was using Google or something else. And if you would prefer using Amazon, hey, cool. You should be able to switch over to Amazon, get this podcast there. Don't know if they have reviews, but if they do, if you could leave one there, that would be great. I appreciate every single one of you just for listening, whether you leave a review or not, whether you are somebody who's going to leave a a hater review, as I like to call them, which is the the couple people that go one star Uh, because, you know. If somebody says maybe two to four stars, then they probably have a nuanced take, right? They're not thats just somebody hating on you and being unfair about it. There's somebody who's like, you know what? You know, I like a lot of what he says, but then there's some things where it's like, ah, uh, you could drop the football analogies four stars or says something like that, which hopefully doesn't happen. But um <laughs> That's nuanced, at least, right? I, I, I can respect that, right? I'm, I, I don't pretend that every podcast should should elicit a five-star review out of everyone, for sure. Um, but anyway, if you could leave a kind of review, that would be greatly appreciated. It helps me out so more people can find this podcast or more people who do find the podcast actually give it a chance, uh, which then allows me to be able to get better at this, which allows me to then be able to teach you all better. Um, so, Yeah. I appreciate all of you for listening, giving me some of your time today. Whenever you're listening to this, whether it is the day that this is released or years down the line, I still appreciate you. I believe I'm all caught up on emails, so that should be good. If you didn't get an email from me in response, then send it again because I, I, I think I hit all the emails. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you next week.